Italian Wine Podcast. Chin Chin with Italian Wine People. Okay, um, hello, this is the Italian Wine Podcast. My name is Monty Wood and my guest today is Arnaud Orsel. Arnaud, you have a master's degree in knowledge and international trade of wines, and you obtained that from the AgroSoup in Dijon. Uh, you spent a decade with François Frère, Cooperage, which are maker of barrels. Um, was it barrel making that originally attracted you to the wine trade, or did you decide to pursue wine as a career for some other reason? Well, uh, actually, um, when I finished my master's degree, I wonder where I could learn more about wine and how to taste as much wine as I would like. And actually, um, being a provider of the wine industry when you are a barrel maker helps you to go into the cellars. And apart from sommelier, which is not what I was uh, um, uh, thinking of doing, uh, I thought that um, uh, being uh, working for a barrel maker for a cooper uh, would help me uh, to uh, visit um, uh, some of the best domains. And actually, uh, working for François Frère, which is uh, one of the leaders of the uh, barrel making uh, worldwide, um, got me to visit most of the domains I wanted to visit uh, in France, obviously, Burgundy, obviously, but also in uh, uh, South Africa, in Italy, in Austria, in Germany. I got to travel around for uh, about a decade and uh, tasting uh, like eight domains a, uh, a day and, uh, and uh, two weeks a month. So that was not a bad position. So you mentioned the use of French barrels in Italian uh, winemaking. Is that a long-standing tradition? Well, actually, uh, it's quite interesting. Uh, obviously, uh, in Italy, uh, the uh, tradition is as a start more into a big oak fermenters and big vats that were made with the Slavonian oak. Actually, um, in the early 70s, the know-how of coopering uh, was almost gone because in France uh, a few domains were willing to use new oak uh, because of the uh, arrival of um, stainless steel. And uh, actually, one maker like Henri Jaillet or Domaine de la Romanée Conti kept on uh, using uh, uh, oak and new wood. And, uh, and in the early 70s, from Italy arrived guys like... Uh, Angelo Gaia or uh, Giacomo Bologna that uh, went to uh, visit uh, the Lycée Viticole de Beaune and went for an for internship into some domains and they, they found out that the use of oak was uh, quite interesting for, uh, for them and uh, they started to try it on their Barolo and, uh, and uh, in Piemonte it has been starting like this. I think the same uh, thing happened to uh, uh, winemakers from Tuscany uh, when they started to plant some uh, uh, international grapes like uh, Merlot and Gavs. They looked at what was happening in uh, in, uh, in Bordeaux and then they then start to import some uh, some barrels from Bordeaux. So it's not a long tradition, but I have to say that there is some uh, traditional barrel maker in Italy like uh, Gamba or Gabedotto that uh, now makes some, uh, some barrels too. Um, did you, I mean, when you were working 
and sending vowels and going to Italy, was there a particular region you, you felt that you had a real affinity for? Well, actually, uh, I would say two of them. For the connection between, between uh, Burgundy and, uh, you know, uh, uh, mono, monocépage, what you mean, uh, which of the one-only grape and uh, local varietal, I, w- I would think that uh, other vineyards uh, using Nebbiolo, Barolo, Barbaresco, looked quite uh, similar into approach with uh, small domains, family estates, and, uh, you know, um, a search for quality that uh, has always been uh, second to none. So I would say uh, for the link between uh, and, and the similarities, I would say um, Piemonte, then um, I had the chance to uh, travel to, uh, to Verona every year for in Italy. And uh, it, it happened that I met very good friends uh, in the region of Verona and Valpolicella. So um, uh, I would say my, my test is in, uh, in Piemonte and my heart is in uh, Valpolicella. Oh, really? That's interesting. You know, it's, they're often seen those two regions as very different. You know, one is this sort of aristocrat and one is slightly less aristocratic. So um, why, why those two choices? Well, um, I, I got to travel also, I mean, uh, into Marche and uh, uh, Lazio, obviously a lot of Tuscany uh, um, uh, and, and uh, Sicilia. Uh, you know, it's, it's rather than the, the, the wine is all a matter of uh, people you meet and, uh, and uh, the landscape and, and the taste. And you can, you can uh, enjoy uh, as much uh, Chateauneuf-du-Pape uh, and uh, uh, Sancerre, uh, to me, I mean, uh, even though uh, the characteristics are very different, uh, it all depends on uh, on what you open the uh, uh, those two bottles. Same for, uh, I mean, uh, Amarone and uh, and uh, a great uh, a great uh, Piemonte. I mean, uh, then um, I would say that um, looking at the white wines, obviously. Uh, uh, Alto Adige wines are very interesting, and uh, but you know it's it's all a matter of the people you meet, and and the, it's it's about uh, ten years, more than ten years. I left uh, François Fer, uh, and I kept uh, very good contacts with uh, with some uh, uh, winemakers and some friends, and uh, and I, I I'm happy to travel uh, as much as I can uh, also. Uh, to meet my friends, and also I, I have to confess that I also go to uh, to Tuscany, uh, and I have also a few friends there. I mean, if if, if you um, were going back to your previous job, and um, I said to you, right, this week you've got to do two trips. One of them uh, will be around Dijon, Burgundy, and one of them will be in Italy. How would you prepare differently for a French client or uh, an Italian client in terms of your in terms of your sales pitch and also in terms of uh, styling? Well, um, interesting. Um, here in Burgundy, uh, the winemakers pretty much know what they want. So uh, uh, they know what percentage of new wood they, they're going to use. They know what type of toasting. And uh, you hear uh, on a more like a friendly relationship and uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, uh, you, you confide on your on your barrel maker, and, and uh, you got to see uh, uh, your customer uh, on every event that's happening in in Burgundy. Uh, whereas when you go to Italy, maybe you see the guy uh, just once a year, 
and uh, it's more like you you test blind and you compare to uh, like ten other coopers, uh, and uh, so it's it's been a different approach. I remember having some uh, tasting uh, like at Tignanello or uh, um, uh, in uh, at Sasikaya where we had like uh, 25 samples, uh, very formal blind testing and uh, and also uh, something very interesting to, to test different type of toasting, to test different. Uh, I would say that in Italy uh, uh, I had more chance to make some uh, discoveries on wood uh, different proposal. The winemakers were more open-minded. Like if in Burgundy you come to a domain and say, you know, you may you better use 300 liter barrels rather than uh, 228 liters, they would look at you and say, you know, tradition is the same since the gold, uh, uh, the Tangolois uh, for 2,000 years. So we're gonna not gonna change the shape of our barrels. Where in Italy. You know, the tradition is less um, long term, so you could go and say, you know, I think 600 liters uh, for your wine uh, would be more appropriate, and um, and then you you go uh, faster into the the know-how of uh, aging. Very interesting. What was the most? Um, what was the? What, I mean, you don't have to name the winery, but maybe the region. But you know, which which areas particularly were really really? You say that the Italians are really open-minded was were there particular regions where they were even more open-minded than other places in italy was it piemonte and tuscany that the revolutionaries or was it well was it other regions one whereas in other regions i remember uh in uh, in market to have discussed a uh, long time with some winemakers just to find the appropriate uh, barrel for montepulciano uh, and and uh, it's it's been you know i came every year and we've been discussing and uh and uh, so uh, the guy was doing uh, 100% new wood, uh, quite uh, very powerful wine. Uh, and um, so you, you had to find the, the appropriate barrels so as to uh, match and not to over oak the wine and to respect uh, the, the idea of the wine of, of the winery. So so it's not like a region. It's more like somebody you meet, somebody you share passion with, and uh, and then. Um, I would say it's uh, a feeling and uh, it's a good time spent together. But it's interesting that you mentioned that this uh, one of the revolutionaries was a, a grower of uh, Multipulciano, the grape variety, because it is a slightly monolithic grape, uh, grape variety, or is seen as being slightly monolithic. You know, a lot of tannin, a lot of colour, and so it's interesting that you. you cited a, a producer there that was really keen to yeah it's quite far from it it's quite far from uh, from uh, pinot noir um uh, and and obviously the approach towards uh, aging is, is different um but uh, when you when you in every region you have some uh, you know uh, people that are really precise willing to go or to, to be leader in their mind and uh, to make new trials and uh, and so this is uh, these are moments, exceptional moments that you, because um, when you are a provider to the wine industry, um, actually barrel maker is the only one where you have an impact, direct impact on the wine. I mean, if you're a cork producer, if you have an impact on the wine, it's not a good idea. Uh, <laughs> If you're a bottle maker, obviously uh, your, your impact is uh, is um, uh, non-sensitive. 
uh, on the taste of the wine. Whereas a barrel, uh, you can uh, enhance the quality of the wine, or you can also um, put it down. Uh, so, so this is uh, something very interesting. And uh, um, for the ten years I spent uh, traveling the world and tasting the wines. Um, I've always had some uh, uh, very interesting discussion with those type of uh, uh, winemaker uh, willing to uh, to go further and, and to be a pioneer in the region. Yeah, we look. Hopefully, hopefully, you're going to write a book about your experiences. You seem to have really loved your time um, in the in the barrel industry. Um, you speak Italian. How how did that come about? Ah, bene. Possiamo parlare così, no? <laughs> Um, actually, uh, if you want to uh, to be involved in the in the culture of a country, um, the the best way is to be able to to talk. And um, I remember one day I was uh, uh, in uh, Sicilia uh, visiting uh, an old uh, archaeological uh, uh, place. And this is uh, the beauty also of uh, traveling. Uh, sometimes you could also uh, visit some uh, very nice place. And, and the guy, uh, the gardener, uh, was there. Um, and I uh, started to talk Italian to him. And there was like a crowd of tourists. And no one uh, was uh, interested in talking to the gardener. He took me on his tractor. And he took me for a tour of uh, the world site tasting some almonds and some pistachios and stuff like that. Uh, so, um, you know, um, this is uh, what uh, helps you to uh, learn a language. You just get more from the people you meet. And uh, as I had to learn, uh, I mean, it was my choice to, uh, to, to start to learn Italian when I started to, uh, to work for Francois Freire. And uh, I started with 20 uh, hours of uh, lectures in Burgundy, and then my friends in Italy told me that I was talking Italian uh, because I was mixing uh, Italian and Spanish. And uh, but by the end, uh, now I speak better Italian than Spanish, and <laughs> and, uh, and uh, you know the chance to uh, visit Italy several times a year uh, and the friendship makes a difference. Yeah, well, you've you've conducted. Um, you, you say about coming to Italy. You, You've conducted seminars and tastings in Verona uh, in the past. What goes into preparing uh, for these seminars and what what lasting lessons do you hope your audience takes away? Well, you know, um, uh, we all know Burgundy is, uh, is complex and, uh, and uh, the seminars were rather on, uh, on Burgundy and uh, the climate Bourgogne understanding uh, why, why is that the same grape? The same village um, with the same soil or almost uh, a close soil uh, gets village appellation, regional appellation, a premier crew and a grand crew. Um, why is um, this wine uh, more, much more complex than the, than the other? What I understand also in, uh, in uh, my 20 years of experience in the wine business is that you never got to know the whole story. Every year as a new vintage, uh, you have to stay very handle uh, about uh, what Mother Nature gives us. So uh, I would say that uh, this is what I want to tell to some uh, sommelier and to some uh, you know people that were attending uh, these uh, seminars. Just uh, 
to give them a, a good approach on, on Burgundy and also just they handle, uh, there's no, uh, there's no, uh, um, rules on, uh, you know, food and wine pairing and stuff like that. We have to go further. Yeah. It's good to see you're open minded on that. Now you are a member of the Confrérie des Chevaliers du Testament, uh, and you're also its current director. Now, can you briefly describe uh, for our listeners the mission or the, the core values of uh, the Confrérie des Chevaliers du Testament? Um, absolutely, Monty. Um, so the Confrérie des Chevaliers du Testament um, is a, a non-profit association that has been created, created in the mid-30s uh, in Burgundy, at a time where, believe it or not, uh, Burgundy wines were really difficult to sell. Um, there was this uh, depression, Great Depression, that, that crossed uh, uh, the Atlantic, and, um, and uh, the, the barrels were full, the cellars were full, and uh, the, core idea of, uh, the core idea of the, the confrérie was to put together friends and, uh, and uh, offer to uh, visitors uh, the tradition of Burgundy, of big meals with great wines, good food, and, and you know, like the traditional songs. And so it, it all started uh, in a little cellar uh, in uh, November 1934. And uh, today uh, we have held uh, more than 1,200 dinners at the Chateau du Claude Vougeot that we own since uh, 1944. Um, and uh, and uh, we are gathering every time. Uh, uh, I mean, in normal time, uh, about 500 people that uh, come from all over the world at both dinners. And the confrérie now is um, as uh, more or less 12,000 members. The half of it being uh, French members and the other half being uh, about uh, in 75 different countries in the world where people enjoy Burgundy wine and, uh, and, great, uh, and great food. Um, just tell us about the Chateau du Clos de Vaugeau. Uh, it's a symbol of uh, Burgundy patrimony. Uh, why is it central to the Confrérie des Chevaliers? Um, so, as I mentioned uh, earlier, this is uh, the seat of the order of the Confrérie. But before being uh, in the hand of the Confrérie, uh, it's also uh, the start of uh, Burgundy uh, wine history. Uh, if you go back to the um, uh, late uh, 11th century, start 12th century, uh, the monks of Cito, the Cistercians, uh, started to plant vineyard uh, in the coast, uh, what we call the coast, La Côte d'Or, um, and they planted uh, some vineyards in Bougeot, and uh, they owned this block of uh, this parcel of vineyards called the Clos Bougeot for uh, about 700 years. And the chateau has been the place where uh, Claude Bougeot and other appellations were vinified since 1250. So there's a lot of history and uh, you can see uh, the chateau still the remarkable uh, cellar with uh, big braces uh, that still remain. So it is a place with a lot, a lot of uh, power. It is a place with uh, um, as uh, a real uh, uh, feeling when you are inside. And you are, we are inheriting from uh, from the from the monks 
the chateau by itself is dating back from uh, the 16th century. You might have seen some pictures of this uh, very beautiful uh, monument from the Renaissance time. Uh, and uh, so the aim of uh, the Coufrerie is to step by step, stone by stone, restore the chateau to its beauty. And obviously, uh, as we have an executive chef at the chateau, uh, that is uh, the one in charge of uh, producing uh, the great meals for the, for the chapitre dinner. Uh, we also uh, have um, a lot of events that are happening at the chateau, like uh, international weddings and uh, uh, big tasting and concerts. So it's a, it's a very live monument, and we tend to uh, to uh, use it as much as we can, uh, so that uh, visitors from all over the world can uh, enjoy and understand uh, what's you know what is the root of Burgundy wine. And uh, so it's it's a place uh, really people need to uh, to feel uh, when uh, when they are in the region. She mentioned the word uh, chapitre. What does that what does um, that refer to in the in the context of the Clos de Vaugeau and the Confrérie? Absolutely, a chapitre uh, actually is uh, is a name. Uh, is, is taken this name is taken from uh, the gathering of the monks that uh, the Cistercian used to make, and we we used this name. Uh, it's actually the the name of the dinner when where we proceed to the induction of the new members into the Confrérie, and uh, it's a six course dinner. Uh, obviously, each um, each dish is uh, accompanied with uh, Burgundy wines, and uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, speeches about Burgundy, uh, its history, and it's uh, I mean it's uh, quite formal in a non-formal format, uh, meaning that uh, the dinner is uh, black tie and uh, evening gowns, but. Uh, by the end of the evening, you get to know uh, you have, you have met many many new friends. So this is uh, the spirit, and we also um, have uh, worldwide uh, some uh, meetings, as we have seventy five uh, what we call soukamandri, which are I mean little ambassades of Burgundy that we have uh, in the US, uh, in uh, in Australia, in Hong Kong, in Japan, where the members gather. Um, to celebrate uh, Burgundy and proceed to the same uh, type of traditions that we hear, we we have here. Final question: What, um, in your view, does the future hold um, for French and Italian wine uh, in in general? Wow, that's <laughs> that, that, that's a, a wide uh, question. Um, I'm happy to to keep on having some uh, good relationship with uh, with. Uh, um, La Confrateria, uh, L'Ordine del Tartufo Bianco uh, uh, di Alba, uh, and, uh, and um, we have had a very nice uh, meeting together at the Chateau du Tour de uh, two years ago uh, with the Grand Maître, uh, the Grand Maîtresse of the, Ord- of the Ordine uh, in, um, in, in Piemonte. And uh, and so the future, uh, the future is uh, you know uh, whatever is um, the uh, situation, um, we know that the wine is a cycle. Sometimes you have some crisis, uh, 
you have to keep on uh, on doing uh, uh, the best that you can, and uh, and this is the secret. Uh, so as to uh, to keep on um, expanding and and uh, keep the tradition. Uh, so you know, uh, back to uh, barrel making. Uh, uh, I remember uh, some um, so, uh, some uh, years ago uh, going to some domains or uh, uh, big estate in, uh, in Tuscany, and uh, you know, the owners uh, would uh, ask me uh, to uh, provide him with. Uh, a lot of new barrels, uh, and uh, I was looking at the guy. I said, "But uh, your vineyard is very young. Uh, what are you going to do with uh, those barrels?" Um, and uh, the guy wanted to fill up the, the cellar with new wood because it was uh, it was uh, in market uh, uh, fashionable. <laughs> and uh, and I said to him, "But said, no, I mean you have to wait for your grapes to to to." to Grow. You could, can't just use new wood and uh, uh, into uh, into um, uh, wine uh, made out of uh, young vines. So this is typical, you know. Uh, don't make a recipe. Um, just uh, do what you feel and uh, and, uh, and respect the grape uh, because it's uh, the start. Uh, it's the start of uh, the, the whole process and respect the grape to get good grapes, respect the soil. And, um, that's what I would say. Um, it's the theme of, uh, of the future. Uh, this is, I mean, a common goal uh, for French and, uh, and Italian winemakers to focus on, uh, on quality. Yeah, both, um, both countries have a very strong sense of terroir-driven um, winemaking and a wealth of uh, grape varieties and um, lots of things in common and differences between how they use uh, how, how they use their wood, as you described earlier on. So, oh, no, I just want to say thanks very much to you uh, for coming along uh, on the Italian Wine Podcast today. It's been fascinating hearing about your career, which has been very eventful and also seems to be very successful and giving us the inside story on uh, what it's like uh, uh, selling barrels. Thanks very much. Thank you, Monty. It's, it's a pleasure. And uh, next time, I hope we uh, see each other with a good glass of uh, Nebbiolo or, or a Pinot Noir in our hands. Perfect. That's very kind. I look forward to that. Thanks, Arno. Thank you. Bon courage. Merci. Grazie. Listen to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Himalaya FM, and more. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. Until next time, chin chin. Cheers.